Welcome to Music Biz 101 and more, your free Music Biz radio show and podcast. Find us every Wednesday at Brave New Radio, 88.7 FM on the campus of William Patterson, the University in scenic Wayne, New Jersey, or on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio as a podcast. Now you know more about what it is. I do. I could say what exit, but <laughs> I don't think I'm 153 off the parkway. I am 153A if you're going north. I am your co-host, <laughs> Professor David Kirk Phil, with your other co-host, Dr. Esteban. Marconi. That is who he is. We are alive, and we are pre-recording what you're listening to from Nashville, Tennessee at the Music Biz 2016 Convencione. I thought I got here 2014. I know, we've been doing this so long, that is yeah. a, a two-year track here in the basement of the convention center, but we're very thankful to the Music Biz Association for giving us this space so that we could conduct interviews like the interview that we're about to have with our good friend Jim Griffin of One House, Jim Griffin of One House, there we go. And uh, Jim was brought to us by Mike Bassett, seeking his MBA in music management at William Patterson yes. University. Good to have you, Michael Bassett. Now let's give two more thanks. We want to thank MIA, the Music and Entertainment Industry Educators Association, gave us a grant. Love that organization. They're Big awesome. supporter of it. That's Belong great. to it for quite a while. Very cool. And they gave us some money, which helped uh, get Mike over here from New Jersey. We also want to thank the great folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management, with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you are ready, Michael. Not when they're ready. It's all up to you. Yes. I think I'm ready. Mike's ready. I think Here I'm ready. he goes. <laughs> we also want to give thanks to Christine Vey. Oi Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson manage their investments and plan out their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, Jim, or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance retirement planning, why don't you give Christine a call? Here's her number, and feel free to repeat after me. 732-455-1510. And you can email her, christine at faywealth.com for advisement. And of course, she always says, your money, your wealth. Forget your <laughs> your focus it. or vision our or yeah. focus. our focus. Oh. Somebody has focus here. Yeah. So right now we're going to turn the focus away from all those wonderful people who we owe quite a bit of thanks to to Michael Bassett, who is now going to bring Jim Griffin into the picture yes. and ask him many questions after a little bit of biography. Hi, Jim. So uh, so you work for uh, Hazen and One House, is that correct? Yes. Well, yeah. I'm starting a new company called Hazen okay. LLC after my son, whose name is Hazen. Oh, okay. And I like to tease people that that's the point of it all, is to replace yourself in life. Uh. <laughs> and uh, the, your children should be very important to you. And so as I transition into a new venture, I want to have a, another company that I can put it under. And so mm -hmm. Hazen LLC, but One House is the company I built right. over the past 20 years. And I did that partly to reflect focus. 
-hmm. that, uh, that in this case it's one house, not many houses that are yeah. the goal. And uh, I like to be clear about that, that focus mm -hmm. is very, very important. But replacing yourself is too, and therefore the uh, company Hazen LLC. Right. So uh -huh. you've been kind of a, a digital media pioneer, it seems. It seems that you've been involved in the future of digital music ever since digital music had a future. So, well, um, I released the first full-length sound recording when I was at Geffen. I was the director <laughs> of technology at Geffen. Mm -hmm. And the first full-length digital sound recording was Aerosmith's Head First in 1994. Yeah. Oh. And in fact, if you read about that in Vice Magazine, there's an article about the three of us who did that project. So I've been involved from the very beginning of putting music online. And I can tell you that uh, we were very excited about it at that time. Yeah, and how long did it take to download? <laughs> it actually mm. took about 22 minutes on a 14.4 or 28.8 modem, which mm. was the oh, yeah. way you would do it at that time. Most people's computers did not have speakers at that time. So this was an occasion where you would go out and buy speakers so that you could listen to this track. And this track was not available any other way, so you had to do that if you were an Aerosmith fan and so forth. And uh, many publications wrote about it and said it was uh, one of the best things that happened that month. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. So I, I'm very proud of that. I, I think, yes, it was interesting. And if you go back to the time that we did it yeah. and look at why we did it, mm -hmm. I think it's, it tells you a lot. And that is the CFO of the company said that we were budgeting about a quarter million dollar loss for every new single we put into the market. Mm that we figured we'd lose 250000 when we put a single out because we'd have to get it into radio and you'd have to get sure. it on the shelves of record stores and the record stores never paid you for singles because they took the same space <laughs> as an album and yet cost very little. And literally at that time we would say that the music business was bait and switch. We promoted singles but we sold albums. So putting mm -hmm. singles into the marketplace, mm -hmm. we were willing to take a loss but we thought what a great world it would be if we did not have to take that loss. Mm -hmm. That if we could get our music out in a way that felt free. Right. Mm -hmm. and, but so now you kind of decided to open up that can of worms. And now that you've seen the digital media landscape change so much over the years, what are some of the issues that you've been seeing that, that seem to come up throughout, that have seemed to come up back, like again and again and again throughout that time? Well, the primary issue that keeps coming up is the question of actuarial versus actual mm -hmm. yeah. versus keeping track of each thing with granularity and specificity or taking a pool of money and dividing it with statistics. Right, and that was the panel before. Yes, and, and, it, and it's why I proposed the panel. I've always been fascinated by the topic. I think it comes up again and again. It's interesting the sponsor of your show is in the financial business, would say the same thing. It's truly right. actuarial for her. It's pools of money and vast uh, get some out of that pool and so forth. And I think uh, the other motivation for me that, to say that is that I think we want to incentivize creativity with a reward. Mm -hmm. And if that's the goal, then perhaps there needs to be some granularity and specificity to get that reward back to the creative person right. who made that thing happen. But as an industry, over time, we continue to build pools of money with roughly fair divisions of that money. And that's how we move forward. It's how Ford Motor moves forward. Mm -hmm. If there wasn't an insurance pool, you wouldn't buy a car. You might be held responsible for every accident that happened. But instead, you enter into a pool of liability and you share that with everyone else. And so there are many things in life where we have difficulty with actual control. Mm -hmm. And so we have financial instruments that are truly actuarial. 
And that's how we move forward. Radios move forward on that. Restaurants have moved forward on that. Retail use of music has moved forward on that. The idea that we don't always know what is getting played, but we can accrue a pool of money and then use that to incentivize creativity. That's been a very powerful force in the history of music and movies and television and any of a number of different creative endeavors are powered by this notion of actuarial monetization instead of actual control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so this has been an area of great focus for me. Right. But you say um, it's r- been roughly uh, fairly or equally distributed. I can't remember the Well, yes, I use the word, word rough to point out that our intentions and the actual results are two different things. Okay. But it is to say that I would suspect that the goal of everyone in the system or most of the players in the system is that it be fair Mm -hmm. not perfect because after all the cost of perfection would deprive us of most of the pool we don't know what's getting played at every restaurant we don't know what's getting played at every radio station we don't know what's getting played in every retail environment Mm -hmm. we don't know about many of the uses of music but what we do know is that if they are willing to pay into a fund and we can create a pool of money We can incentivize creativity by dividing that money with some kind of precision, whether it's rough or real. You know, Mm -hmm. we can envision a world, I suspect, especially now, where there is great precision in the allocation of the money. And yet, I can't envision a world where it would be perfect. And if that world were perfect, if you knew every use of music, might not the chilling effect of the observation affect the use of the thing? So if you could track down everybody who listened to Iraqi folk music over the last 60 days, might they not get a visit from the Department of Homeland Security? (laughs) You know, if you had granular knowledge of everything someone watched, would there be an adult entertainment industry? Mm -hmm. You can ask yourself. Mm -hmm. It is just to say that I think we all want a certain amount of privacy in our use of intellectual property. It's so revelatory about who we are and what we believe and what we do and what we think about that I, I suspect that our goal is rough division, not precise division, so that we can allow people to have a certain amount of privacy in the use of music and movies and books and so forth. But I think there is also a notion that we need some data in order to affect its proper division, such that we do reward creators. But during our lifetimes, those of us here in this room, it's not going to happen that we get perfection. Right. And so I use the word rough to recognize that mm-hmm. we desire a, a certain goal, but we will not get there with perfection. Right. So while we're on the topic of, of this sort of privacy and legal debate, um, I've read when I was doing some of my research that you were a witness for some of the copyright hearings and with the federal government. I've often been a witness. Uh, the Senate Judiciary Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, the Copyright Office's Copyright Royalty Board proceedings. Right. Uh, I'm very interested in these things, yeah. and I, I have an opinion, but I uh, want to have heard. Uh, and I hope it's an expert's opinion. That's why they asked me to testify. Right. Uh, right. And so I go in. And why does that happen? It happens because there are some circumstances where the government must set a price or certain rules around the use of music. And so the Senate Judiciary Committee, the House Judiciary Committee, they're interested in the rules. And the Copyright Office is very interested in the rates, the terms, Mm -hmm. the conditions that should be applied. And so one of the reasons I ended up as a witness at the Copyright Royalty Board was because one of the things that I wanted to see come to pass, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act and its blanket license, 
for those who would right. webcast. Mm -hmm. uh, I felt that was very important, that we should encourage the development of a new medium, required that there be a statutory license alongside rate-setting proceedings. Mm -hmm. And so I testified at those rate-setting proceedings. I always testify for more money because I want more money right. to incentivize creativity. Creativity is the stuff of my life. It's the stuff that makes my life worth living, mm -hmm. listening to music, right. watching movies, seeing television, etc. And so I want more money for those things. And so uh, my goal uh, as a witness in those proceedings was to go in and explain to the judges what this nascent medium was of webcasting and what it would become over a period of time such that they could set rates and rules surrounding this. Right? Mm -hmm. And what, do you, what would you say is the biggest impedance to achieving the goals that you're looking for overall? be it within the, the legislative body or within the industry itself? Well, I think unquestionably it's greed. You know, <laughs> that, that there are those who engage in a business that relies upon the use of music or relies upon the use of media or the creative work of others. And I have no disrespect for what they do. Their natural motive. And in fact, if their natural motive is not greed, they will probably lose control of the property that they are, that <laughs> yeah. they are doing. Uh, but the point is, is that it's, it's like if I was a prosecutor, you would say, well, what's your biggest impediment to justice? And I'd say defense attorneys and defendants. <laughs> uh, you know, and, uh, and if I were a defense attorney, I'd say it's prosecutors. Mm -hmm. you know, and I think as someone who stands up for rewards for creativity, the biggest impediment are those who would ignore the need to reward that out of self-interest. That mm -hmm. they, And by the way, their self-interest is important to me too. Without them, there is no money. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I'm pretending here mm -hmm. that their self-interest run rampant is a bad thing. It's why mm -hmm. we get paid at all. But it is to say <laughs> that the notion that I should not pay or that I should get away without paying or that I should pay less runs straight up against my notion that you should be well rewarded and that money should grow over time. And that would be true of, uh, in this case, musicians who are the key components of, say, a radio show or a webcast or a TV show or any of these other things. Uh, so that would be the biggest issue, would be that there's somebody out there who wants to pay less at the same time I am advocating paying for more. Uh, at the same time I am advocating to make those rules easier and simpler, someone else is saying, let us make them more difficult to keep my competition out. Right. Uh, these are natural market forces, so I mm -hmm. don't want anyone to be alarmed by my statement. Mm -hmm. I recognize they are natural forces, and that is why it is the natural force that is on the other side. Those who testify for the other side and say, no, we can't afford it or whatever. Right. Yeah, uh, it's, they, a very, it's a very sophisticated viewpoint, and I think there's a lot of people, in the, in, especially kind of lower... Uh, on the rungs in the music industry that are trying to make it and they think that there's just this f force against them that they're not ever going to make any money. But uh, I, you know, I think it's really interesting that there is, there is a balanced way of looking at it. Well, that would be true if they opened a burger shop. I mean, McDonald's doesn't want them to succeed. Neither yeah. does Ruby Tuesdays or yeah. any of a number of other places mm -hmm. that serve burgers. I mean, the competition makes you better. It gives the public something because that adversarial process, the market, theoretically delivers them a better result. You know, there's other things they could listen to other than your radio station. It makes you right. better because you want them listening. Mm -hmm. You know, those forces are good. Everybody does a service in that environment, even those who disagree with you. They right. make you better at what you do. And what's interesting is while they appreciate the competition, their goal ultimately is to have no competition like you just said and become a monopoly. Once you become a monopoly, ironically, because you don't have competition, your strategic ability to get better 
Look, that's you unfortunate. Would argue, it would soften people. Yeah. It's trouble in this area. Yeah. I've often said, when you get a grant from the government of a monopoly, whether it's a copywriter or a radio license, you get lazy. Mm -hmm. right? yeah, you think yeah. to yourself, hey, we got this frequency, nobody else can have it. Yeah. Hey, I've got this copyright, nobody else can deliver it. Today, that's, a, I mean, it's always been a dicey assumption, but it's especially dicey today, where mm. they don't have to have a radio station to compete for your ears. <laughs> yeah. right. They could have a webcast, or they could, they don't need mm. to worry about that government monopoly, and there are certainly pirates out there who do not respect copyright, mm -hmm. but, you know, and, and I do respect it, but I have a, a slightly different view than some. I mean, I'm less about control and more about compensation. Mm -hmm. I'm for focusing on compensation and not worrying so much that people make copies of your stuff. That's right. always going to happen. It's getting you paid when there's a problem. Again, right. much like car insurance. You know, there's somebody out there focused on what happens if you have an accident today. And thank goodness for it. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talk about the pool, there's, al there's always then this issue of equality. You know, uh, just like in the real world, the 1% versus the 99%. Let's say we had a pool of money to pay out to. No, no, we do. We do. This is actually the status quo. And this is one of the most controversial things mm -hmm. that people need to understand. I'm not advocating pools. I'm telling you they exist. Mm -hmm. The theory is that we could do without them. The theory is that somehow we could control the use of music or movies or books with great granularity and specificity and exact a price above marginal cost for every use. The reality mm. since the 1920s right. and before has been pools. Mm -hmm. In other words, one look, acoustic, in an acoustic world, every artist controlled their art with their feet. Mm -hmm. If you, the, you weren't in the room, you couldn't see them or hear them. Mm -hmm. right. Electricity came. Acoustic becoming electric was the most dramatic transition in the history of art. Mm -hmm. And electric becoming digital Forget is it. merely a gradation of change. Hmm. Mm -hmm. The way we address them are the same. I mean, imagine, you know, in an acoustic world, you knew everyone who was hearing your music. In an mm -hmm. electric world, you couldn't count the size of the audience. It was so large. Mm -hmm. And what did we get? We got Sassem in France, which led to a corollary uh, so can in Canada, mm -hmm. and then ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC in the United States. Now, the evolution of this, and I'll take a long story and I'll make it very, very short. And it, it came about Victor Bourget, a famous composer, was eating a meal at the Ambassador's Restaurant on the Champs Elysees in the mid 1800s. And he heard the orchestra at the Ambassador's Restaurant playing his music, and he said, <laughs> I'm leaving without paying for my meal when I'm done <laughs> because you have not paid me for the music. Mm -hmm. that they, like, it's just like something he would say. And they arrested him. <laughs> and they took mm -hmm. him to the judge. And the judge said, look, you have to pay for the meal. But they have to pay you for the music. And it was based on a law that had recently been passed at the urging of Victor Hugo mm -hmm. and some others mm -hmm. who said, you can't read our books aloud in a public square without a license. Okay, mm -hmm. But they made getting a license pretty easy. And the judge said to Bourget, look, you don't want to be going to restaurants over and over and over again licensing your music. It's inefficient. You know? And so they built a society of authors mm -hmm. to go out and collect this money that they were entitled to. And they created what essentially became Sassem, and then, of course, so can in Canada, another French-speaking country, etc., came down to the United States in the form of ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. Mm -hmm. And now we have all manner of pools of money that deal with the efficiency uh, of, of getting paid. And we have them not just for music, 
We have them for television, for example. You know, there's a, a compulsory license that cable uh, stations can rely upon in getting other stations into their cable uh, operation. There's any a number of these out there that are pools. And so I'm not advocating a change. I'm simply explaining the history of where we've come from and how we got there. And it's because electricity essentially got in the middle and said, you can't even count the size of the crowd anymore. And now digital simply accelerates this path and says, now it's going to be a little more difficult. Mm -hmm. And make no mistake about it, it's only a little bit more difficult. Because can you imagine the arrival of radio in the 1920s? Oh. I mean, can you? No, no, seriously. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a technologist. And I, th I still think it's magic. I mean, I know how it works, but I'm stunned that it works. I mean, I'm still stunned that as I drive down the highway or I take a little crystal box or whatever, it receives a signal. It plays it to me. This is indistinguishable from magic. That's technology. That's what we confronted in the 20s. You know, I am convinced that almost all of the things we face in our future come from looking backwards. That, that you need to look backwards. You need to look at how we got where we are. And what went on with acoustic becoming electric can, carries most of the answers for what we're doing with electric becoming digital. Yeah. And that's why I say, you know, could you imagine what we confronted, a world of electricity with loudspeaker systems and crowds bigger than you could count and music traveling all over the world? Do you realize that in 1928, we first proved color television by broadcasting a color TV signal from the New York area to London? Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you again, this magic, how would we deal with this? Mm -hmm. What would this do to control? And yet, we didn't back away. We created pools of money with fairways to split them up. And we said, hey, pay into the fund. Pay into the ASCAP fund, the money will get paid back out to the songwriters. Same thing with BMI, same thing with CSAC, same thing in over 150 countries around the world have pools of money with fair splits for music, for movies, for television, uh, for books even. Now, you may not have considered this, but consider the following. In Europe, you buy a printer. A Hewlett Packard laser printer. You buy a Canon laser printer. Maybe $30 of that price that you pay goes into a pool for authors. Mm -hmm. Really? Yes, now you might not. And, and by the way, the money is handled by an organization called the IFRRO, the International Federation of Reprographic Rights Organizations, not dissimilar from ASCAP or right. you know, Sound Exchange or any of your other organizations. Mm -hmm. And they collect a pool of money that essentially seeks to compensate authors and graphical artists for the use of their works that are copied without their permission. In the United States, there is an organization that does this called the CCC. That's I never the Copyright Clearance Center in Massachusetts. Now, again, a long story. I'll try to make it as short as I can. There was a lawsuit between the American Geophysical Union, a, a publisher of a journal about oil and gas, and Texaco, which subscribed many times, had lots of subscriptions to AGU's journal, but was found to be photocopying it. And the case went all the way to the United States Supreme Court. Right before it was decided, they settled. And they said, we'll pay into a fund. And the judges at every step said, I would find this fair use, except that there's a fund. And it's so easy to make your payment. Mm, right. and, and now, 
Roughly three quarters or more of public photocopy machines in the United States pay a fee to the CCC, the Copyright Clearance Center, to be divided amongst authors and graphical artists. No, on the music side, wasn't the audio home recording act of 1992 similar? It was interesting, Uh and it was similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has, in some ways, outlived its usefulness. It's still important. Mm -hmm. Any source of money is important, and I'll argue for more money in every which way we can get it. But it is to say that the goal there was to collect money from various sources that would take away control from the use of music and put it into a fund to be divided amongst musicians. Now, Mm -hmm. it was imperfect because in various ways it said, well, only DVDs that could be used for music or CDs that could be used for music or actually said, had an ad on it that said, good for for copying music. Those paid into the fund, but others did not. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it's limited. Yeah. But the goal all through history has been to take damage, widely interpreted to be damage, damage mm-hmm. from loss of control, and turn it into compensation so that we can continue to incentivize creativity. That, mm-hmm. that is the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, Likewise, we have, as I said, you drive on the highway, you pay into the insurance fund. Mm-hmm. If there's an accident... Somebody gets paid for that. You know, is it perfect? No. It's rough. The amounts that are paid out, the amounts that are paid in, they're imperfect. But they're why you can drive today. And if you have an accident, you'll still be able to sleep in your own bed today. You know, mm-hmm. assuming you've not done anything right. terribly illegal. Right. And, and <laughs> so my point is that progress, especially with technology. Driverless cars. I well, see that's yeah. they'll really have insurance, cute. trust me, yeah. oh, or yeah, no yeah. one will yeah. put one on the road. Mm-hmm. And it is to say that if I said to you that my predicate for your driverless car is that it never kill anyone, mm-hmm. I think we'd all be sympathetic. Yeah. You'd say, well, of course, we don't want it to kill anyone. But if I made you promise, you'd say, yeah. we'll never have them. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I can't promise that I won't. Mm-hmm. It could happen. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'd go further. It will happen. Mm-hmm. The driverless cars will kill someone. and But for insurance, we won't have driverless cars. And so... Each measure of progress going forward requires that we absorb the uncertainty of those who engage in it. And so economics steps in and says, well, you know, there's a way to address that without requiring that they never kill anyone. It's that they pay when they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, I'm sympathetic. We don't want them killing anyone. Mm -hmm. And we're not not talking about killing anyone with music. I mean, when it hits, you feel no pain. But it is to say that we want to be careful in society about the damage we do. And we can't have progress without running some risk. Risk is probability times cost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And though the probability may be low, the cost is high. And so we need, to make, uh, we need to think deeply about some way to address risk. And here I will tell you that there is a terrific book called Against the Gods, uh, The Remarkable Story of Risk, that tells the story of how this has happened over time. Mm-hmm. of how we address risk, not with technical control, but with actuarial economics, mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. pool-based payments. You know, your retirement is, right. is mm-hmm. a risk. Right. Will you live too long or too short? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. It is a risk you pool with others. And so we address that. Mm. You know, it is, so I, that is why I know we went on this tangent, and it is partly because I didn't want to leave with you thinking that I was proposing something new or unusual. What I'm actually suggesting to you is that the history of our business is one of actuarial payments because Mm -hmm. technology continually takes control away from us. 
And in fact, I will say to you with a certain amount of assurance that it will control will recede at an increasing pace and it will be roughly doubling in power and having in price every 12 to 18 months mm -hmm. because that is Moore's law right? Yeah. for the advance of, of microprocessors. And so yeah. what I say to you is that every 12 to 18 months that flash drive gets bigger. Mm. Yeah. You can carry a whole HMB mega store in your pocket. Yeah. The, yeah. the risk grows for musicians. And, and does that mean they should give up? No, it means that we should monetize the risk that they face or we do them a disservice. Leaving them with no way to address technical risk is a disservice. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that is why I jump in and say, no, 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 no. It's, it's actually not a proposal I'm making. It's actually the status quo I'm defending. Mm -hmm. Those who wish there was complete control of digits, of zeros and ones, and the music that they represent, or the videos they represent, or the words they convey, uh, those people are the one with a the theory. And it's mm -hmm. one that's never been satisfied in history. Right. And in fact, I, I can almost promise you that during your lifetime, you'll have complete control of the digits that mm -hmm. you want to use. Text, audio, video, graphics. Mm -hmm. Real challenge for you is how will we address the impact that the loss of control has on creators? And to me, the answer is easy, with money. You know, and I, I think that is why increasingly my interest is in recognizing the fiduciary duty we owe those creators. Mm -hmm. The industry denies it has a fiduciary duty. But I would say that the duty is no less than the duty to handle your retirement funds correctly. Right. This is, this is stuff that people rely upon to make a living. Mm -hmm. It's something that should not be treated you know, without serious intent. Mm -hmm. Is very, very important that we care deeply and that we ensure, as we did in this panel I was just in, to think about how are we dividing this money? How are we keeping track? What are we doing? And, and there we are full of dilemmas. If we track everything to the nth degree, we run roughshod over people's privacy. But if we don't track it at all, we fail to make any kind of effort at properly directing those payments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was pretty awesome. That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I just—I like, hate to cut you off because we. Have well, to there you stuff, go. Look, but, I'd happily yeah. do something on the phone, or I, I come to your studio at William Patterson because I come up to your area all the time. Great. I go to New York and I travel from D.C. But uh, it's been fun, and I've enjoyed great. doing it, and yeah. I hope I hit your mark. No, this yeah, is yeah. very was, interesting. This is. Uh, uh, this will put everyone to sleep who's listened to no. it. <laughs> this will be bedtime listening. You had Those to pay of you attention. And William Patterson, who have trouble yeah. sleeping, arranged <laughs> to have someone insomnia. talk about the most exciting topic in the world, music and entertainment, but put the most boring spin on it. <laughs> <laughs> We've arranged to discuss actuarial compensation. Yeah. <laughs> but it's college, so it's a yeah. university, so why not? It's, it's very interesting, and we appreciate you taking well, the time to, for having to do me. this. With. No, it was great. Happy it was to great do it, time. and I admire great. what you're doing. Oh, thank you very much. So we've had Jim Griffin of Hanson slash Hazen. Hazen. That's my Sorry. son's name. Hey, <laughs> I was thinking of, so Hanson was a Mbop. Of a, yeah, no, Jim no. Griffin of Mbop One House. Actually, on, on the label that I worked for, uh, the, my favorite Go label, Geffen Records. There we go. All right, so Jim Griffin, thank yes. you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate you, and I thank you for having me. Thank you, and thank you to Mike Bassett for getting Jim Griffin yeah, to be here. Sorry. And get that MBA, Mike Bassett. Yeah, happy get to do it. I, be excited when you do.
And we <laughs> want to thank uh, Dr. Steve Marconi for sitting well, back. Thank you, too, and my co-host, of course. Who is I, Professor David Kirkphilp, and you have been listening to Music Biz 101 and more. And at the end of every show, we don't say hello. You know what we say, Michael? We say, adios! adios. There you go. <laughs>